the Legal Underground Podcast, Episode 50. On today's show, Advanced Deposition Techniques, Part 2, for ways to use psychology at your next deposition. This is the Legal Underground Podcast, hosted by Evan Schaefer, one of the friendliest trial lawyers you're ever likely to meet, but hopefully won't have to. And now, here's Evan Schaefer. Welcome to the Legal Underground Podcast. Today, as with my last episode, I have something a little different than what I normally do. I'm speaking as a lawyer about the actual practice of law. I'm Evan Schaefer, a trial lawyer from St. Louis and author of the book Deposition Checklists and Strategies, published this month by James Publishing. This podcast is part two of a planned three-part series about advanced deposition techniques. Today's topic? Using psychology to your advantage in depositions. No matter what your deposition goals, one thing will remain constant. Both the opposing lawyer and the witness will be trying to prevent you from completing those goals. How is psychology going to help you prevail? Let's get right to it with tip number one. Use psychology to get the witness acting like a normal person. When you start a deposition, it's almost always the case that the witness, at least assuming he's represented by a lawyer or has been prepared by one, is hesitant and tight-lipped. That's because he's thinking about the instructions his lawyer gave him just before the deposition started. The instructions to do nothing but answer the question as restrictively as possible, then stop, being sure never to volunteer anything. That's the standard instruction to witnesses, and they almost all get it. Your goal is to get the witness to forget what his lawyer has told him and to start acting as soon as possible like a normal person. It's easier to do than you might think. That's because the lawyer has instructed the witness to act in a way that isn't natural at all. In his natural habitat, of course, a witness is a social creature. He most likely responds to questions with more than just a hesitant, mumbled one-word answer. And he's been doing it for years and years. It's a habit that's so ingrained in the witness's personality that you can have him acting like a regular person again in no time. How do you do it? Just ask some open-ended questions. Here's an example. Tell me about the car collision, Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith is going to look confused because you've just asked him to violate every one of his lawyer's instructions about how to answer questions. So be helpful. Say to Mr. Smith, just start at the beginning. When Mr. Smith gives you a couple of sentences and then stops, ask him, what happened next? It's another open-ended question. Continue like this for a couple of minutes and everything the witness's lawyer has told him about not volunteering information will be out the window. A distant memory. Now before moving on to tip two, Let's pause to consider how the advice I just gave is also pertinent when you're on the other side of the table, when you're the lawyer who's instructing the witness not to volunteer information. Now you know that no matter how often you say it, the witness is sure to forget it. What should you do? Once the deposition has started, don't let yourself sit back and become a potted plant. Instead, try to keep active. That's what I do. If I'm defending a deposition and the witness, my client, starts to answer a question that wasn't asked, I speak up. That's not the question, I say. You've got to pay attention to what's being asked. Now, listen to the question and try it again. If the witness answers a question and then keeps talking, same thing. I speak up. You've answered the question, Betty. You can stop. Wait for the next one. There are many situations like this in which remembering to stay active can become important to your client's well-being. Just remind your clients ahead of time that you're the good guy. And if you happen to get all over them during the deposition, it's just because you're trying to help. Next, tip two. 
Use psychology to make the witness feel at home. Open-ended questions are one way for you to get the witness to open up. Another way to do it is by making the witness feel comfortable. It's a famous lawyer strategy. Playing nice when you're really not feeling nice at all. It's not the way to go in every deposition, but usually there won't be any reason for you not to be friendly, at least at the beginning of a deposition. It's at the beginning of the deposition that your kindness will have the greatest effect. That's when the witness is at his most nervous and will be correspondingly most grateful that you're not starting out like the fire-breathing lawyers he's seen in movies and on TV. In your introductory questions, you'll remind the witness that if he wants to take a break, just to let you know and he can take a break. See how nice you are? If the witness's water glass is empty, ask him if he wants a refill. If the sun is in his eyes, ask him if he wants to switch places with you. Simple acts of kindness like these will go a long way to relieving some of the witness's nervous tension, which will get in the way of your deposition goals by causing the witness to clam up or to forget important details or to adopt an offensive, combative tone. What you want is for the witness to relax. Remember, you want him to act like a normal person. Act like one yourself and see what happens next. On to tip three. Use psychology to get the real answer. Sometimes it's hard getting an answer out of a witness. You hone in on a particular issue and start to dig deeper, and suddenly the witness is fidgeting and pausing and hedging. He's no longer answering the questions that you're asking. Question. You were present at the meeting on August 14, 2005, weren't you? Answer. I was traveling a whole lot that month. So you start again. You say, that wasn't what I asked. Let me ask you again. Were you present at the meeting on August 14, 2005? Answer. You know, I don't remember what I did that day. Do you give up at this point? Of course not. You say, thanks for that, but you're still not answering my question. I'm going to ask again, and so on. Does this sort of hedging by a witness ever work? Every once in a while, it probably does. What you have to do is to keep asking the question you want answered until the witness answers it. Ask again and again, usually by the fifth or sixth time, the witness will start getting the idea. There's nowhere to hide. Sooner or later, he's going to have to answer your question. Where does the psychology come in? In my example, the witness's hedging was obvious. Sometimes it isn't. One thing you can say about deposition witnesses, most of them are basically honest, especially when they're under oath. Maybe that's why when they're employing the tactic of answering while not answering the question, they feel a little guilty at some level about giving you an answer that isn't completely correct. It's this guilt that leads many witnesses to do something that will tip you off to their hedging. It's like the tell of the card player. If you watch for these tells, these signals, you'll be put on notice that there's more to the answer than what the witness is giving you. What should you watch for? Some witnesses might tip you off non-verbally. There might be a hesitation in their answer, perhaps a glance towards the opposing lawyer at the table, maybe an inability to look you in the eye when answering. The more obvious examples are verbal. Be on the lookout for answers that seem complete but really aren't. Here's an example. Question. Were you at the meeting? Answer. I don't have a specific recollection of that. What's the word that clues you in to the fact that the witness's answer is incomplete? It's the word specific, of course. I don't have a specific recollection. It implies that the witness has a recollection of some sort, and that's where you'll head next. What recollection do you have of the meeting, you'll ask? Sometimes a witness will repeat the question back to you in a way that will put you on notice that you're not asking the question the right way. Question. Were you at the meeting? Answer. No, I wasn't at the meeting. Did you hear that answer? It implies that you're asking the question the wrong way. Dig a little further, and you'll learn that the witness showed up after the meeting had ended. 
but was there with all the players all the same. In short, you have to remember that if your question contains a factual assumption that isn't quite right, witnesses can and will take advantage of it. Some of them, however, won't be able to keep themselves from tipping you off as they're doing it. Which brings us to the last tip for today. Tip number four, use psychology to know when to give up. I'm going to end with a short tip that's easy to remember but very hard to put into practice. There are certain people that despite your best efforts at asking questions, just don't make very good witnesses. Maybe they have legitimate memory problems. Maybe their personalities are so combative that they can't focus on your questions. Maybe they're determined to waste your time with long, rambling answers. It's these type of difficult witnesses that really make you earn your money as a lawyer. But do you really need to be earning your money on this type of witness? A lawyer much wiser than me once gave me some advice when I was particularly frustrated about my inability to pry information out of a particular witness. Did you think about giving up? He asked me. I understood his point right away. If there's another way to get the information you want, there might not be any reason to continue. It's not necessarily an admission that you've lost and the witness has won. To the contrary, it might just be good lawyering. This tip won't always work, especially for an important witness who might be appearing at trial. In this event, you'll have to keep going to find out what the witness's story is, or at least take him out as a witness entirely by getting it on the record that he has no story at all. But in many cases, the tip works wonders. Before you torture yourself in a way that makes you want to torture the witness, ask yourself if there's really a good reason for raising your voice and throwing your notebook, other than to satisfy your own bloodlust. Despite what you read in the newspapers, Bloodlust really has no place in the litigation process. Sometimes it's best just to give up. And that's it. Those are my tips for using psychology to your advantage at your next deposition. And we reach the end of this podcast, the second part of a planned three-part series on advanced deposition techniques. If you're interested in listening to the other parts of the series, look for them on my weblogs, either Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground at legalunderground.com or the Illinois Trial Practice weblog at www.illinoistrialpractice.com If you like these tips and want a whole lot more, see my book Deposition Checklists and Strategies which you can buy from James Publishing. They're on the web at jamespublishing.com Finally, my law firm is Schaefer & Lemire which you can find on the web at riverbendlaw.com As always, thanks for tuning in. This has been the Legal Underground Podcast. For more legal education, visit Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground at legalunderground.com. When it doesn't nauseate, it always entertains.